So today I think I'll talk about Rohatsu. And if you don't know that word, I'll explain what that is. And also, I want to talk about the radical non-dual view, which is something I am very drawn to. And also the uh, practice view of really doing committed deep practice, which is also something I'm very drawn to. And if you know anything about these views, you might say that they're, they don't go together or they're paradoxical. Because in the radical non-dual view, this is it. There is nowhere to get. There is nothing to practice. There is no one to practice. This is it. This is everything that we've ever longed for. This is the culmination of the Buddha's awakening right here, right now. The touch of the seat, the sound of my voice, any thoughts that are appearing, distraction, concentration, all, everything. It's already free. We just, it was just a misunderstanding. So there's actually nothing that we need to do. Um, and yet, and yet, we feel that we need to do something. We feel that there is a problem. We feel that I just don't quite feel free. And so we have the path of deep practice, which consists of focusing the mind, concentration, samadhi, opening the heart, ethics, love, and inquiring. Is this it? Is there such thing as me and my life? Is there such thing as me and my practice? Is there anything outside of this? What is this? In a very direct looking kind of way. I'm not a very good talk writer, so I prepare all these things and they didn't, they're not in any order. And then I just see how they appear, or if they appear, in the talk. So um, I'm just laughing at myself because I didn't even know if I would read this poem, but I think I will. Because I think it's applicable to what was just said. It's called Rest and Be Taken. And it's uh, Aryashanti poem. Aryashanti was a Zen practitioner for a long time, for 15 years, and then he decided he started teaching. He had deep insight and started teaching just in his own way, not so much in line with the Zen form, but of course inspired by his many years of Zen practice. Rest and be taken. When there is deep abidance, there is nowhere to abide. There is nowhere to rest or to grasp onto, and yet there is rest. The sky abides, yet it never rests. Neither can we say that the sky is not always at rest. We talk about the sky as if it were something, as if it actually exists, 
and yet we cannot say that the sky does not exist. The sky is nothing but coming and going. And that's a great point to inquire into. So this, this thing that we think we are, isn't it nothing but coming and going? And is it even a thing? Everything is perfectly spontaneous. The coming and going arise mutually, instantaneously. If the true I is asleep, you will miss the point entirely, and you will continue to dwell in the world of opposites. So see the two as one and the one as empty and be liberated within the world of duality. At first it seems as if begoing follows becoming, but look even closer. Look even closer and you will see that there are only flashes of lightning illuminating the empty sky. Life and death, becoming and begoing are only words. In order to save your life, that's a really good point, life and death, becoming and begoing are only words. So we can, we can really get to know these beautiful concepts of no self, of impermanence, of presence. But if we get stuck in the word, in the concept, if we make it a thing, we suffer. We're trying to get to it. Right? So they're pointing us. He's pointing us. Life and death, becoming and begoing are only words. In order to save your life, you must see that you die instantaneously, moment to moment, instant to instant. Now where are you going to abide? And where are you not abiding already? This was said to be the the line from the Diamond Sutra that the sixth ancestor awakened with. Cultivate a mind that abides nowhere, or recognize the mind that abides nowhere. Now where are you going to abide, and where are you not abiding already? Indeed, there is nowhere to rest your head, and there is nothing but rest. So let go of all ideas about permanence and impermanence, about cause and effect, and about no cause and no effect. All such notions are dualistic concepts. The truth of what you are is completely beyond all duality and all notions of non-duality. And yet it includes duality and non-duality alike. Like an ocean and like an ocean that is both waves and stillness, and yet undefinable as waves or stillness. My first teacher, Satya, used to say that the only thing that you can actually know to be true, this is the only thing that you can actually know to be true, this. Any idea that we have about it, it's this way, it's that way, I'm this way, I'm that way, I should be this way, I was that way. 
They're all just ideas. Here we are, sitting as the truth always. Dogen Senji said that rocks and walls, floors, pebbles, I don't remember his exact words, they're all expounding the Dharma. This body is expounding the Dharma, the sound of my voice. The concepts, they're also expounding the Dharma, but they confuse us so easily. We're, we are nothing but Dharma. It's ungraspable, all-inclusive, and closer than your own skin. Do you, ever t- do you ever feel your skin? Or like how the clothes touches the skin? It's so close. A single thought about it obscures its essence. It's both true and not true. Nothing can obscure it. And yet, yeah, I see what he's saying. (laughs) We're so easily confused. A single thought about it obscures its essence. The perfume of your true life is right in your nose. (laughs) I love that line. Usually say right under your nose, right? No, it's right in your nose. (laughs) Closer than close. It is your nose. (laughs) It's so simple. It's the most simple. I was talking to Hogan once about a a radical non-duality. I said, yes, I'm I'm listening to these speakers who speak on radical non-duality. And he's like, well, the most radical thing is this. (laughs) Yeah, that's basically what they say. This, it's right, it's right in our nose. It's right in the sound. We are not it, but in truth, it is us. It is us. There is nothing you can do to perceive it. There's nothing you can do to perceive it because you are it. It's, it's everything. It's so free. It's so free. It's everything. And yet, you must do something. Right? Something. There's this longing. There's this friction, the Buddha called dukkha, which is you. <laughs> it's the I, you know, it's the I embodied belief that thinks I must do something. I know what's going on and I have to fix it. Or I have to achieve it. He says, there is nothing you can, you can do to perceive it, and yet you must do something. I say, 
Rest and be taken. Rest and be taken. So that's his practice instruction to us. And and that's really the practice instruction of the Zen lineage as well. You can't really say the Zen lineage because there are so many lineages that have so many similar but sometimes very different teachings. Some of them are this these practice instructions. What can I do to get to awakening? What can I do to get to love? What can I do to get to presence? And others, what you might call Zen teachings, actually are more accurately described as direct pointing instructions. You are it. This is it. Everything is ceaselessly coming into being and disappearing. There is no path. You can't even surrender because there's no you to surrender. It's already surrendered. Body and mind are already dropped off. So that's great. If we hear that and something in us, the Buddha in us, recognizes, yeah, this is already complete, then that's, that's wonderful. And then our... our job, you might say, is to make that a reality each moment, to re-recognize. Byron Katie says there's no enlightened people. There are simply enlightened moments. One moment after the next. That's not even right, right? Does one moment follow the next? We have all these beliefs that we take to be true of time, of me, of this world, but we start to look really closely, and this is the practice instruction, right? Concentrate. Learn to stabilize the mind. So in Buddhism, as I mentioned before, we have the three aspects of practice, of training. They're called, it's called the threefold training. It's concentration, samadhi, presence. And I've been very, very drawn to the deep levels of absorption that are taught in the Theravada tradition. So Ten mentioned that I just had an interview with a Theravada teacher who teaches these jhanas. And um, it's not something that we directly teach in Zen, but of course we find ourselves if we Uh, do this practice of continued returning to the present moment experience before concepts. Mm. The Buddha had a beautiful word 
uh, it's, an, it's a Pali word, it wasn't his word, but um, in the Pali canon it's um, written, it's ehipasiko. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, ehipasiko. I'm getting a nod of affirmation. It means come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself what I'm saying. Is it true? Is it true that there's the, you know, the three marks of, of existence, the Buddha said, is that there is no self, no abiding permanent self, that everything is impermanent, and that there is this thing, this seeming thing called dukkha, that can cease. It can cease suffering. This sense that this isn't quite right. And that's what we call liberation, the end of suffering, the end of I, the end of me and my life. So he said, here's what I discovered. I'll, I'll explain it to you the best I can, but ehipasiko, come and see for yourself or come and verify it for yourself. So then we have this threefold path in order to do that verification. So we concentrate the mind. And this is, this is what we do during session. So rohatsu is the session we're about to start. Um, and rohatsu literally means in Japanese the eighth day of December. And that is um, Friday, which is pretty cool because uh, some of the people during the rohatsu session have a tradition of sitting up one day, one hour extra every night until they sit up the whole night the last night. So during a Zen session, if you're not familiar, I'm not sure if anyone isn't, we sit for a minimum of eight hours a day in this sendo, and the whole uh, Zen retreat is silent, and it is a time to deeply concentrate the mind, to open the heart, the second part of the threefold training, and to look and see for ourselves, to inquire into the nature of self, of suffering, of liberation. And so Friday is actually the 8th of December, and that's the all-night sit. And it's, it, we're commemorating the Buddha's awakening. And the story goes that he sat uh, all night, the night of his awakening, when he really saw through the, the illusion of separation. And um, I'll just tell a little more of that story. It's, it's said that he remembered a moment in his life when he was a young child, and he was um, sitting under a tree, and he entered a state of absorption, a state of peaceful absorption in the present moment. And if you've practiced deep concentration, you know that we touch these states of deep peace where we're just abiding. And like a side effect of concentration is what in the Theravadan tradition they call the jhana factors which are uh, peace, happiness, uh, joy, and equanimity. Also single-pointedness. 
And those factors, those qualities are innately um, pleasurable. So this is another sort of byproduct of concentration practice. Like even if you're not even really interested in the nature of self and all that mumbo jumbo, you know, just like it's really nice to concentrate. It's really healthy. And um, it's really healthy for the body, for the emotional uh, body, um, for the psychology. It helps us function better in our daily lives. You know, this has been studied by the scientific community, of course, as well. So it's a really, it's like a concentration practice I see is like brushing your teeth. It's like mental hygiene. It's like, uh, yeah, just make sure teeth shine brighter, right? And you don't get so many cavities. You know, so many problems. Even though it might not be the total cessation of suffering, it's it lessens the suffering. Um, and of course, mm, but what I wanted to say, what just came is that concentration um, also is an expression of wisdom. So these three mind trainings are also just um, shinings of the awakened mind of wisdom also. So uh, when we concentrate, we let go of everything. Like Chosen was instructing us this morning, just put the preferences aside. We just put the story aside. We put all that obsession aside and we just bring the attention where I like to use this spot here. This is a Theravada practice more under the nose. And I just continually bring the attention there. Bring the attention. Bring the attention. Bring the until finally it stays. Maybe three breaths. And then Okay, then bring the attention there, right? You can do that with any aspect of the present moment. And they have different qualities. The traditional Zen practice is to bring the attention down to the hara, the lower abdomen. Just keep bringing it there, the breath and the hara. So love too, uh, sila, the second aspect of the threefold training, it um, also is influenced by wisdom. Of course, a mind that, a mind, it's not right. It's hard to talk about it because all of our language is dualistic, right? When it's seen, when it's seen, when it's felt that I am not separate, love is natural. Kindness is natural. Compassion is natural. So the second aspect is often taught first, actually, because as we work with the heart and the heart feels more relaxed, then we actually can put aside. We actually can put aside our concerns. Because when the heart is so agitated, often we can't. Yes, we say we try to, but... It just keeps, it's just like grabbing us, hold of us, right? Oh, I gotta figure that thing out. Oh no, I love feeling. So we do loving kindness practices 
And I encourage people, if you feel that you're really getting caught in a lot of striving or a lot of negativity during session or during any sitting period, to go to the heart, work on what needs to be addressed there, acceptance, gratitude, forgiveness, kindness, compassion. And then when the heart feels sufficiently settled, start again the concentration practice. When the mind is sufficiently concentrated, when it can stay, we can begin inquiry practice. We might have a koan, and then we have these these questions. Very well known one, what is the sound of one hand, or what is the sound of one hand clapping from Hakuin? What is the sound? What is that sound? Where? Where is that sound? And there's no conceptual answers to this kind of inquiry. It's simply a direct looking. I need to practice. I need to be concentrated. Hmm. Is that true? What is this I? Where is this I? And just direct feeling. The Heart Sutra says form is emptiness. Form is emptiness. That's another koan. What is that pointing to? Form? This form? This form? So I said these in order, that's how they're often taught, but they also don't always go in order. Sometimes we are gripped by a question. What is this suffering? That's a, you know, what is this feeling of dis-ease? Where is it? Whose is it? So sometimes it will grip us and our mind will just stabilize there because it's so interesting. And sometimes not. And they're both okay. Mm. 